Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here today. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That's your turn to say it back to me, unless you really don't wish me a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's like, wow, where did you guys go? <laughs> you smell the turkey. Yeah. Amen. Let me read this to you. Uh, 1879, Canada further explained in 1957 when the Canadian Parliament announced on the second Monday in October would be Thanksgiving Day. This is the proclamation of your Parliament in 1957. A day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed. Oh God, return us to our roots as a nation. Amen? Thank you, Father. Well, we're going to talk about how we can be thankful people even when we're going through difficult times. Has anybody figured out sometimes there's difficulties in this world? Stick around. If you haven't figured that out, it will come to you eventually. Amen? Well, let's pray and uh, begin our journey into one verse of Scripture. Amen. Father, we thank you, and we need you, and we love you, Lord. You are gracious, and you are good. And so today, Father God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Well, here's our one verse for today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read it to you again from the Passion Bible. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, be joyful always. How? <laughs> How can we be joyful always when there's difficulties in this world? First and foremost, we need to understand the difference between joy and happiness. So happiness is merely external, fleeting, and sometimes can only be for pleasure. It's only achievable on this earth and can sometimes not necessarily be for our good. Joy, on the other hand, is internal, selfless, sacrificial, and spiritual in its connection with God and is purely good. We need joy in our lives just like we need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is why we're able to attain joy. In order to really attain and maintain joy, we must receive Christ as our Lord and Savior and follow in His teachings. But again, there are times when our joy doesn't line up with our circumstances, but we press through. 
When all circumstances are against us, we may be tempted to believe that God is against us. Has anybody ever been there? It's a temptation, by the way, and, and you know, it's a test at times. And many times people in this world, including you and I, are going to go through the test uh, that the enemy tries to sow in our lives to say, uh, see, God is not good. You're going through this, and God has allowed this in your life so that you will start to really believe that God is not for you in the midst of the trials you're facing. But let me read this scripture that settles it once and for all. Romans chapter 8 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many know that Scripture pretty well encompasses anything, anytime that you're going to go through and says God is for you and not against you? Amen? Which is good news for me when I'm going through difficult times in my life. I might be tempted to think God is not good, but He's always with me. And because God is with us, we can really find this place of joy. And if you've ever gone through suffering, and you know, it's an incredible thing to watch people go through suffering. Uh, you know, any time in a church family this size, I always call it the seasons of life. You're going to have people that are in the spring of their life, spring season, everything's growing, everything's wonderful. You have those that are in the summer, it's amazing. It's like, wow, this heat coming down. It's awesome. We're waiting for the fruitful harvest about to come in. And some of you are in the fall of your life. You know, the colors are changing, but you know the harvest is there. And it's such a beautiful time of life and, and you love it. But some of you are going through a winter season and it's cold and you can feel alone. And those things are very real in some of our lives. And how many of you know you go through any one of those seasons several times in your life? Do we understand that? It's just the way it is. There are times when you're like, man, I can hardly wait for spring because, man, she's, uh, she's alone. I feel alone. But God's with you still. Amen? So the nation of Israel uh, had some rough times. <laughs> This was a winter season I'm going to describe to you today. So they were taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. And, uh, they, you know, their, their temple, the place of worship, was utterly destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls that surrounded Jerusalem were utterly destroyed. Devastation. And then they're taken captive for 70 years. But now the, the Bible predicted, God predicted, that after 70 years you would return to Israel. And so they did. They returned to, returned to Jerusalem. They're coming back to this devastated city, the devastated temple. Their whole, everything's, you understand, it's not good. But then a leader shows up, and his name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, we're going to start rebuilding the rubble. 
And so remove the rubble to rebuild the walls. And they start to rebuild the walls, and he rallies the city, uh, the people that have come back out of exile, and they start to rebuild the ruined walls. And it takes them about 52 days because they just set it in their heart and they go forward. There's all kinds of opposition when they're trying to rebuild the walls. And yet they make it all the way through. And then Nehemiah, the leader, realized these people have been in captivity for 70 years. And a generation is coming up that doesn't even really understand or know the word of God. And so he has Ezra, the prophet, and, and a bunch of priests, sorry, the priests come. And Ezra's reading from the first five books of the Bible. Okay, they're literally reading the first five books of the Bible. And their other priests are gathered around the people in, in groups explaining what's being read. This takes all day, and the people are kind of start weeping because it's like, oh my gosh, we've been, we've been neglecting the word. We haven't had the word. Our, our life has been a challenge. And Nehemiah says these great words, which I love. So they're crying, and Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that Thanksgiving, guys? We're in that day, and, and all of, you know, if we went down the rows and talked to people, you'd find that there's different challenges people may be going through, health issues or relationship issues or issues with their kids or we don't know, issues at work. And, and Nehemiah calls the people, and he says, guys, don't, don't grieve in this day, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's our Thanksgiving thought. Well, then the verse goes on not only to maintain this joy, joy in the Lord, but it says pray continually. I love the passion, as I said, make your life a prayer everywhere, all the time. Set your heart to pray. So our hearts are being moved toward God even in the midst of difficult circumstances and we're being called to be joyful and then prayerful. And I think that order is really, really important because a life of continual prayer, all that means is, how many of you know, and you figured this out in your life as a believer, you're, you're constantly praying. You know, you're in the car and a thought comes to you, you pray about it. A person comes to you, pray about it. Uh, you know, a difficulty that you're going through comes to you. But how many, I want to just challenge you for a minute because I think sometimes we can be guilty of worried prayers especially when you're going through a challenge. And worried prayers are those kind of different kind of prayers. And, and I, you know, I'll give you a couple examples of that in a minute, but I want, I want to just read this scripture that challenges us to not give worried prayers. James chapter 1. It says, if you don't know uh, what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and he won't be condescending to you when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought, People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. <laughs> Interesting. You know, worried prayers, guys, are like prayers that are filled with fear rather than faith. Now, I'm not saying that you ignore the fear, but I'm saying there's a way for you to pray prayers of faith even when you're feeling fear. 
You know, like sometimes my worried prayers in the past have been like, oh God, please, please, please save my loved ones. You know, I might be thinking about a loved one who doesn't know the Lord and I'm worried about their future and I'm looking at our world and, and I may have this panic prayer. Oh God, and that, I'm not saying that's terrible, but I want to give you a thought as to how to make it better. You know, God, please forgive my sins. This was something as a new believer that constantly hit me. You know, I would ask God to forgive a sin and then all of a sudden I'm at church and uh, I'm worshiping God. You know, I'm like, oh God, you're so good. And all of a sudden a thought comes to me of the sin I committed that day. Anybody else ever have that? Come on, come on. Yeah, I know you're there. And all of a sudden I watch people sometimes as a pastor, their hands go down. Like, and they're looking around like, does anybody know what I'm just thinking about? And, and you know, it's like God is trying to say to you guys like, you know what? when you understand that worried prayer and you start saying, oh God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and you don't feel worthy to praise, there's a lie. You see, that's not God planting that thought in your head. Okay, we'll get there. But we have worried prayers sometimes. You know, when we have a new, newborn child and that child grows, and let me tell you something, when that child moves on outside of your protection, when they hit that puberty age and, and they start making decisions on their own, how many of you are going to have to have prayers for that kid, right? And sometimes those prayers are worried. Like they say, I want to go to a party, and you're like, I, no. No, you're not, because I know what I used to do at parties, and you're not going to a party. But how many know that controlling thing is not going to work either? Where you're having to have a, a moment in your life where you're like, I got to trust this kid with more authority over themselves. And yet I'm freaking out. God, I'm freaking out about this kid. I can have a worried prayer or I can have a prayer of faith. Well, let me look at just those three thoughts I just gave you and kind of build a prayer of faith around it. See, Christ-centered prayers, guys, don't ignore reality, but they hold up the truth of God in the midst of reality. And I don't want to live in worried prayers. I want to live in faith-filled prayers. And this is where the Word of God becomes so powerful. So you can have faith-filled prayers for unsaved loved ones. You can say to God, God, I'm worried about my family who doesn't know you. God, it freaks me out that they may go into eternity without a relationship with you. But God, I know your word says. And you can begin to pray faith-filled prayers for them. Lord, enlighten them with the hope of your word. God, I pray that they'll discover the great power and protection living in your glorious promises of your people. God, break through their eyes, open their eyes, speak into their heart, show them the goodness that you have for them, God. Well, that's not a fear-filled prayer, is it? I'm, I'm, I'm overtaking that with bringing God into the situation. You know, sin that keeps coming up and you keep feeling it. Oh, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. No, that's okay, but... Move it on. Your word says, God, in 1 John 1, 9, God, that if I confess my sins, Father, you are faithful to forgive me, God, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, your word says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, God. So this condemning spirit, this condemning thought is not from you, Father. I've confessed that sin before you, God. Those are good prayers, amen? I mean, listen to Micah 7, 8, 8, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives transgression so that the remnant of his inheritance remains? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on it. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. 
Now you might say, I don't know that verse, Pastor Greg, when I'm driving down the road and I'm not trying to whip open my concordance in my Bible. Like, what do I say? God, thank you that you have cast my sins into the sea of forgetfulness. That's okay. You're paraphrasing that and you're saying it out of your spirit and out of your heart. Amen? God, as far as the east is from the west, so far you have cast and eliminated my sins, God. Never the two shall meet. You run west, you run east. We're never going to see each other again. That's the whole intent of God speaking that. Do you know God forgives your sins when you confess them and he remembers them no more? So who's bringing up those sins to you? Okay, again, praying for your kids, right? Thank you, God, that you are faithful to a thousand generations. Thank you that my kids are in your hands, God, even from everlasting to everlasting. God, your mercy and your grace and your righteousness God is with those who fear you. Thank you that your righteousness shall be with my children's children. Those are good prayers, you guys. You can pray them with confidence before the Lord. Now, some people, you know, say, well, I feel stupid praying that way, you know, and I'm feeling fearful. How do I, you know, I don't think I'm going to pray in faith. That's when you need to pray the prayer of faith. Right? You need to take the, you know, the words of John Wayne seriously. You know, and it's like you can feel fearful, but, you know, life is fearing fearful, but saddling up anyway. Amen? That's what John Wayne said. You know, when I'm afraid, I saddle up anyway. When you're fearing these things that you're praying about, saddle up anyway and bring the Lord into the situation. Confident, joyful prayers come. Well, the third point of our text was this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Our text said it this way. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say for all. It says in all. Not every circumstance in your life comes from God. Anybody figure that out? (laughs) right? Sometimes the world, sometimes situations, sometimes health, all these things can affect us and be challenging for us. But God is calling us to be thankful. Well, why be thankful? I don't feel like being thankful. Sometimes life sucks and it's hard. So why should I be thankful, Pastor Greg? Well, it stops us from murmuring and complaining. In the Old Testament, there was all kinds of people that murmured and complained. They didn't like Moses. They didn't like exiting, you know. They wanted to go to the promised land, but it was taking too long. And they had to forage and fight for their own food. And, and to get, you know, and they were like, why don't we go back to Egypt? You know, oh, they had onions and leeks. Like, what a thing to turn away from God on. I just want more onions and leeks. And slavery. Remember that? <laughs> Duh, you seem to forget that one, guys. You know, there's kind of a biblical principle here. And it says, when you murmur... It produces death in your life. Now, I'm not talking physical death, but it can produce emotional death. It can produce a disconnection from the life of God that's intended for you. Anybody ever been there where you start murmuring? Like, I find this with couples. Um, when one couple, one member of the, of the couple, starts to murmur and complain about their partner or their spouse, and... How many know when you murmur about your spouse, all you're going to see is the negative things they do? Has anybody figured that out? 
So they can do 15 things right, but when you're murmuring about them, they do the one thing wrong. I knew it. Dot, dot, dot. You always, you never. Those are absolute words of death to a, in a family, by the way. When you say that, so then Betty and I have this conversation once in a while. And she's usually the, usually the one, God love her. She does a lot of things for me. But every once in a while she says, you always do that or you never. I'm like, well, if I always do it, then why tell me about it? You know, <laughs> if I never, that's not the answer, by the way, okay? <laughs> Apparently that, that's not what, that's good. Don't do that. You can learn, like my son says all the time, Dad, I learn so much about what not to do by watching you sometimes. So, <laughs> so stop murmuring and be thankful, amen? This is what God is saying to us. So here's another thought about why we should be thankful. It takes our minds off ourselves and our situations and places our thoughts above. How many of you know you know, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Yeah? And we offer up to you that old song, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And this is what God is calling you and I to understand. At times, we have to sacrifice praise. At times, we sacrifice thanksgiving. Because maybe you don't feel like it. And as a matter of fact, the longer you live in this world, the more you feel the world's pressing in on you. You have to discipline yourself to be thankful. It's an act you have to have and to do in your lives all the time. I was re reading a book one time by Tim Hansel. It's called um, You Gotta Keep Dancing. Now, Tim Hansel was a, a high school teacher uh, in the si late 60s. And he noticed that kids were just disconnected. They weren't really present. And he's like, what do I do with these kids? So he, he was a real outdoorsman. So he decided to take them on a trip outdoors. And he did this whole weekend of camping with these kids. And they came back alive. And so he started a ministry called Summit Expeditions where he would take, he took thousands of kids on these trips and to, in order to get their eyes off their situations and their moments and begin to turn them more toward the goodness and the beauty of God. On one of these trips, he's walking on an ice bridge, and the ice bridge collapses, and he plummets 60 feet. That's six stories, okay? Lands on rocks, breaks his back, and shatters three vertebrae. He loses three inches in his height, okay? And then... For the next 35 years, he wakes up every single day, goes to bed every night in pain. They can't solve the problem. Surgery doesn't, you understand, it's not good. And then he writes this book on you gotta keep dancing. This is one of the quotes. One of the big problems with pain is that it's so myopic. It's me-centered. Nothing robs one's strength and vitality so much as self-absorption. There's no greater waste of time than self-pity. Preoccupation with self, it fragments and dissipates that which you want to be about. Now, there's a guy that had the right to say those things, right? And so the challenge for him is to call us to keep dancing. No matter what you're going through in your life, keep dancing. This is what God wants you and I to learn. Well, here's the last thought. Sorry, the second lost. It's an act of faith which pleases God. 
You know, sometimes, again, when I feel like I'm in a bad mood or I don't want to be thankful, again, we need to understand that this is the moment for which we are to have faith. We are to bring the sacrifice of praise. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, guys, all throughout the New Testament, I, I won't even go into all the scriptures, but guys, you have to keep focusing your heart on Jesus. You have to turn your thoughts to him because the world is trying to take your thoughts and turn them away from God. The enemy is trying to turn your thoughts away from God. You know, I I read a quote this morning and I thought, wow, that's kind of insightful. He said, if the whispers of Satan could turn one-third of the angels against God, how much more will they turn your heart? Watch what you're watching. Be careful of what you're listening to. Amen? So it's an act of faith that really pleases God. We're going to skip that Colossians scripture. We have to constantly be calling out. If you, the Freedom in Christ course that we're running on Wednesday nights is really declaring the word of God in the face of the lies of the enemy and lear, learning how to stand on God's word. Let me close with this. The band's going to return here. I think the choir's coming back too. Beautiful. Here's my last thought. Get your tissues ready. Just going to warn you. Being thankful creates thanks in others and creates thanksgiving in others. But you want to grab me a tissue? I know I'm going to need it. This is one of those stories that just kind of ruins me. This is a story in the late 1800s. A little girl is coming, sitting on the steps of a small church from which she's been turned away because it was too crowded. She's sitting on the steps and crying, and the pastor walks up, and he says, what are you crying about? Why are you out here? She said, I can't go to Sunday school. The, the pastor quickly discerned as he looked at her shabby, unkept appearance, and he guessed the reason. So he took her hand, and he said, Take, come with me. I'm going to get you a place. And so he brought her into this crowded Sunday school. He said, let's make room for this young girl. And so they did. And so every week, this young girl would come to this small church, and they knew better than to turn her away from Sunday school. But some two years later, the little child lay dead in one of the poor tenement buildings. The parents called the kind-hearted pastor who befriended their daughter and asked him to handle the final arrangements. The pastor went to the house and as they were removing her little body, and as it was being moved, a worn-out, crumpled red purse was found, which seemed to be scavenged from some trash dump. When they opened the purse, they found 57 cents and a note scribbled in the childish handwriting, which read, This is to help build the little church bigger so more kids can come to Sunday school. For two years, she had saved this love offering. Every penny she'd ever gotten, 57 cents. When the pastor read the note, 
He knew instantly what he would do. Carrying it to the pulpit, he cracked open the little red pocketbook and he told the story of her unselfish love and devotion. He challenges leaders to get busy and raise enough money for a larger building. A newspaper learned about the story and published it. It was read by a wealthy realtor who got a hold of the pastor and offered them a parcel of land which was worth many tens of thousands of dollars. The church could not afford it, couldn't pay for it. But the realtor spoke to the pastor and said, how much money did he want for it? And he told the pastor, I'll sell it to you for 57 cents. Church members made large donations. Checks came in from around the world. The story spread. Within five years, the little girl's gift had increased to $250,000, a huge sum at that time in the turn of the century. Her unselfish love had paid large dividends. Well, today you can visit the city of Philadelphia and look up the place called Temple Baptist Church with a seating capacity of 3,300. Be sure to visit Temple University where thousands upon thousands of students have been educated. Look for the Good Samaritan Hospital that's built on the grounds as well, as well as, as a large Sunday school building which houses hundreds of beautiful children every week. Built that no child should ever be left out of Sunday school. That little girl's picture can find it on the wall with a little red purse in her hand standing next to the pastor Dr. Russell Cornwall who wrote about this story in his book Acres of Diamonds 57 cents in a hand of a little girl who is so thankful for the changed life that coming into a relationship with God had produced Church, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.